0: Rudyard Kipling once wrote, This is a brief life, but in its brevity, it offers us some splendid moments, some meaningful adventures. Now, don't we wish that life was always like that, where we understood what life meant And every part of our life was just a meaningful adventure. And everything was joyful. Everything was rosy. Everything was peachy, as we sometimes say. Unfortunately, life isn't always like that. Sometimes life throws us a curve, and we swing and miss. And doubts arise, and we're disappointed, and even perhaps become a little disillusioned. We have been preaching from the great book of Psalms uh, this summer on Sunday mornings. And Psalm 90 discusses the brevity of life, and particularly addresses those times in our lives when life is hard, and we don't understand, and we ask a lot of questions, and doubts arise, and we might even become angry at ourselves, at other people, or perhaps even angry at God. Now, when we began this series, I made the point that, that often we, we look at Scripture and we read Scripture as God's Word speaking to us. And, and maybe more than, than any, other, any other book in the Bible, the book of Psalms gives us language in which we can speak to God. And Psalm 90, I believe, is one of those psalms. When we experience the disappointment, when we experience the discouragement, when we don't understand what is going on with life, and we even question where God is is, is, is God awake? Is God still with me? Hopefully Psalm 90 will help us to work through those difficult times. Some of you are familiar with the Church of England's book, of Common Prayer, And it stipulates the use of Psalm 90 at a funeral service. I I know through the years as a minister on a number of occasions, I have read from Psalm 90 at funeral services or memorial services. Well, this recognizes the psalm's emphasis on the transitory nature and brevity of human life. How in... Resp- on, on one level, life is, is so short. And, and when you think, think big picture, in fact, we're going to see this uh, in the psalm in, in just a moment, just how transitory life can be. Walter Brueggemann writes, Psalm 90 is one of the most mag- magisterial of the psalms. And he classifies it as a psalm of disorientation. We, we've covered how Brugemann classifies the, the various psalms. And when he says it's a psalm of disorientation, he means it's a psalm that expresses doubt, despair, even disappointment. Uh, some of you know uh, ACU professor Glenn Pemberton. In his book on the psalms, he identifies Psalm uh, 90 as a psalm of Lament. And we'll talk more about that in, in just a moment. So if you have your Old Testament, open up uh, to Psalm 90. If you haven't already uh, done that, you'll probably notice just above Psalm 90, uh, Book 4. Uh, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we discussed how, in reality, the Book of Psalms is a collection of, of five books. And so Psalm 90 is the first psalm in uh, book four that continues through uh, psalm 106 the heading attributes this psalm to moses which would perhaps make it the oldest of all the psalms now unfortunately no historical context is given uh, in the heading and it would really be interesting to know what the historical background of this particular psalm uh, is. Uh, in, in my preparation for this lesson this morning, uh, there were four primary uh, suggestions as to a historical uh, context. And perhaps these four settings will become a little clearer when we work our way through uh, Psalm 90. Some uh, suggest Exodus 32, the golden calf Incident uh, when Moses comes down uh, off of the mountain, having received the Ten Commandments, and uh, discovers uh, Aaron and uh, the people of of Israel uh, have rebelled uh, against God, and God displays his uh, anger before them. Some of the wording would certainly fit that. Uh, historical background. Others suggest Moses' farewell speech in uh, Deuteronomy 33 uh, as Moses stands before uh, Israel one final uh, time and he has passed the mantle of leadership over uh, to Joshua. And Joshua is about to lead a very young uh, generation of, of Israelites into uh, the Promised Land. And again, a number of scholars see very similar language between Deuteronomy 33 and Psalm uh, 90. Brugamon in his little commentary on Psalm, suggests uh, Deuteronomy 34, where we read about Moses' death. And, and how he sees some of the language embedded within uh, Psalm 90 Uh, Here Moses has been the great deliverer of God's people from Egyptian captivity Uh, and he's been very faithful except uh, for that uh, one incident when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And so uh, in in spite of his faithfulness and his commitment to God and to the task uh, at hand that God had given to him, he would not be able to enter the promised land. And so perhaps uh, this prayer that we find here in in Psalm 90 is his reflections upon uh, his past life uh, as he prepares uh, for death. And then the final uh, suggestion by a number of scholars is that perhaps uh, this prayer of Moses was adapted later in Israel's history uh, during uh, a time, uh, as one scholar put it, during a time of time of cynicism, uh, of pessimism, Uh, perhaps during Babylonian captivity or during this period of exile when uh, Israel was wondering, God, have you left us? God, have you abandoned us? And so these words of Moses uh, brought encouragement and perhaps uh, a bit of understanding uh, to that situation. But regardless, the message is pretty simple to understand. As, as Moses talks about the eternal nature of God in comparison to the brevity of human life and in, in, in the challenge of, of dealing with, with our own humanity, uh, and especially when things aren't going as we perhaps had planned, as we encounter a tragedy and disappointment. So this psalm, again, I hope, will give us some language. Um, We're going to see at the end of of the lesson, hopefully some very bold language that we can use uh, to approach our God with. Well, again, a number of suggestions as to how you might outline uh, this particular uh, psalm. I chose to outline it into uh, three sections. Uh, This portion of our lesson will be brought to us by the letter C, if you are interested. But in verses 1 and 2, the psalm begins with words of confession, really words of of affirmation. I like the word affirmation better, but affirmation does not begin with the letter C. So I chose uh, confession. Here's what Moses says as he begins. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And and so before he he begins to to express his emotions and and his feelings at at, at whatever historical context uh, he finds himself in, he begins with these great words of faith. And uh, the NIV just simply says, Lord, perhaps a, a better translation would be the Lord. It's, it's an exclamation. As, as Moses begins this prayer, it's as if he's not even addressing God. He is just affirming the Lord, the true God, his creator, the one who is in a covenant relationship uh, with his people. He talks about how how God has been Israel's dwelling place, the NIV reads. Uh, The term or or the word dwelling place I find very interesting. It's usually a term for an animal's lair or den. It is is never used in relationship to where a human finds uh, shelter or where a human uh, lives. But it can refer to the place of God. It's used in reference to the temple or to heaven. And and so the idea there, perhaps the the word picture behind Moses choosing uh, this word, um, a small animal to escape uh, the danger of a larger animal, can scurry into its lair or hide in its den. And so as as Israel finds itself surrounded by nations much larger and much stronger, they could escape into the den or the lair of God. And Moses concludes this confession as he begins this prayer by emphasizing the eternal nature of God, that only God is eternal. And and it's because of, of God's nature... And because He is eternal, that Moses can reflect back and ask God to continue to be with His people. So after these words of faith, these words of affirmation, he then moves in verses 3-12 through 12, what, what we might call some words of concession. He, he has emphasized the eternal nature of God, but now he, he kind of concedes... Again, on the transitory nature of human life. He says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So again, in comparison to the eternal nature of God, uh, Moses seems to kind of concede the fleeting nature of human life. And he he talks about God's wrath or God's anger. And I think it's important for us to understand here that God's wrath in the Old Testament operates in particular context for particular reasons. And the problem that, that Moses here seems to be addressing in Psalm 90 is God's wrath has been operating against His own people for a long time. And at least from Moses' perspective, it's because of their sinful nature. And so this psalm is is a psalm also of of repentance. It's it's a psalm which emphasizes the relationship between God and His people. And Moses is going to come back to that in the final section uh, as as the psalm concludes. And so there is this acknowledgement, there is this admission of the frailty of of human life. And he asked God to teach, to instruct us on how to better number our days. Let me tell you what I've done with with part part of this text. Moses talks about 70 years and if one has strength, 80. So my goal is to live to the age of 80. Now, I'm, I'm not eating any better uh, to try to enhance that. I'm, I, I do exercise uh, quite a bit, especially, you know, with my right arm. I, I exercise it quite a, quite a bit, angling, as Buddy Bell said uh, this morning. So, so if I make it to 80, okay, that's, that's four quarters. And so I've, I've tended to, to kind of section my life off as 1 through 20, uh, 21 through 40, 41 through 60, and then 61 to 80. And so a basketball game or a football game lasts four quarters. Four quarters. And, and so I've, I've tried, you know, enjoying a- athletics and sports and things. I've, I've kind of used this text as, as a metaphor for life. And so in quarter one, you know, you come out hard, and you're full of energy, and, and you're full of life, and you get through the first quarter, and then comes the second quarter, and you get to the end of the second quarter, and it's halftime. man by the name of Bob Buford made a lot of money, sold a lot of books about 20, 25 years ago addressing halftime. It was designed particularly for men. Uh, in those days, you heard a lot about midlife crisis. And, and so what do you do at halftime? Well, you make adjustments. You know, you, you look back on, on the first half, and, and, you, and you learn, and, and you make adjustments. And then you get to the third quarter. Well, I am approaching the end of the third quarter. And, and here's, here's what I've determined. Okay, this is the way I watch an NBA basketball game, all right? Now, if if it's live and I'm there in the arena, okay, it's different. But if I'm at home, I don't start watching until the fourth quarter because they don't get serious until the fourth quarter in the NBA. And and so really the first three quarters, and Lori gets so frustrated with me because she'll be in there watching it, and she'll say, why don't you come in here and watch this? The game doesn't start until the fourth quarter, all right? So those of you who are who are over over sixty, am I right? I, I mean that's when you you know you're you're probably empty nest and, and hopefully you, we've made you know good financial decisions and you know we can travel to Iceland or you know whatever and and and, and so this this last quarter is so important. And so what is it if if you live past eighty? It's free. You know, when you go to an NBA game and it goes to overtime, we talk about it's free basketball. You know, I only paid for four quarters. And, so, and one time up in Oklahoma City, the Thunder went two overtimes. And they used to have this guy who no. wore number 35 that scored 50 points in that game. It was amazing. And, and so we were there in the arena for an extra hour. It was, it was free. So anything over 80 is, is free. And you can, you can live life even more. And, and so I guess the point is, and, and we'll deal with this a little more in, in just a moment, but so, so the point is, take your life very seriously at whatever stage. And every stage is different, as you well know. And, and so if you're younger, if you're younger, you know, make good decisions. And 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 if you're if you're older, right, share that wisdom. Share that experience. And, and those of you who who are younger, I, I, I really appreciate these these life groups that are that are being formed. Another a, a number of them are very intergenerational. And I think that's wonderful. There there seems to kind of be be a movement among younger people to to actually like hanging out with older folks. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I mentioned in, in Bible class, when Lori and I were at uh, Westwood in, in Edmond, we could always count on this older retired couple, Roy and Juanita Wickham, signing up in our group. And, and we really thought it was cool that, that here they are much older than, than any of the rest of us. And, and we, I mean, it, Roy didn't, didn't say much in group. But when he did, remember the old E.F. Hutton commercial? You know, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. I mean, if Roy, if Roy and he might, he might only make one comment a night, but when he did, everybody hushed. Because you knew it was going to be good. You knew it was going to be wise. Right. So, so learn, learn your life stage. And, and prepare for the next one appropriately and and I guess I, I guess my biggest encouragement this morning is is for those who who are older to to hang in there and have an influence. barge your way into those younger groups, whether they want you or not. They'll, they'll, they'll like you. They'll, they'll learn to to appreciate that kind of thing right? And as I get closer to the fourth quarter, it's becoming a little more important to me. Lori, by the way, is only entering the second quarter. I just need to be on record uh, to to say that. So there's confession, there's concession, and then in the final section is where we really get to the lament part. And so I've called it complaint. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Classic expressions of lament, questioning, and mourning. Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, Psalm 90, if you classify it as a psalm of lament, as as Brother Pemberton does, is, is one of several psalms in which lament is expressed, mourning is expressed, Questions, very brave questions are asked of God. And so lament urges God to intervene. Lament is an act of courage. Lament presses the issues. Lament insists on change that only God can bring. I I had not really thought of this, and and I hope I don't embarrass her this morning. Well, really, I don't care if I do embarrass her. Uh, But Jill, Ferris, and I were having a conversation uh, just this past week, and and we we, we were talking about uh, language and and Psalms in particular, and she made the point that that in these Psalms of Lament, you don't see the word please. It's not... Uh, okay, God, but please have compassion on us, or, or 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 please establish the work of our hands. No, it's much braver than that. It's it's Lord, show compassion. I mean, only you can make the difference. O- only you can change our our circumstance. Uh, we find in uh, verse. Fourteen, you know, our our favorite Old Testament word, hesed. uh, The NIV translates as unfailing love. And uh, Moses says, satisfy us in the morning with your hesed, your unfailing love. Uh, The word satisfy there is, is to be filled, just to be saturated with God's unfailing love, His covenant love, His loyal love, His commitment to us. Don't just show us, God, but fill us with this. Saturate us. Encourage us with who you are and uh, how you've taken taken care of us throughout eternity. And even though it is a difficult time, and even though we have questions, and we're disappointed, and we're disillusioned. And to use Brueggemann's language, we're, we're... We're just disoriented. We we don't know what's going on. Reveal yourself to us. Fill us with your compassion and your love. So Psalm 90, I believe, is brutally realistic. No cliches, not much optimism, yet it is profoundly hopeful, as all Psalms of lament are. Because of the faithfulness of God, because of his Hesed, we know God will respond. So I have seven points to ponder uh, this morning uh, from Psalm 90. First of all, go back to verse one. Lord, Moses says, You've been our dwelling place. We are not homeless. We, We have a place to dwell. But in reality, it's it's not a place. It's it's a person. It's God. It's it's in God that we live. I I would suggest the New Testament counterpart to what uh, Moses is is trying to make, the the point he's trying to make here, is, is, is Paul's little favorite phrase, "...in Christ." You know, for example, uh, in Colossians 1 and verse 2, he addresses uh, the Christians in uh, Colossae and he says something like, to the holy people in Colossae who are in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, you may live in Colossae, but, but your, your true residence is found in Christ. God is our dwelling place. Jesus is our place of residence. So physically, literally, we may live in the 903. That's our area code, by the way. But in reality, we are in Christ. We belong to God. And and that is where we take up our residence. We are not homeless. Number two. Verse eight: God, God knows us. God knows us as we are." I mean, this kind of goes without saying, right? We, we, we can hide a lot of things from a lot of different people, but we cannot hide anything from God. So, so why even try? So, and, so I think the lesson, I, I mean, I think embedded within this psalm is, is Moses is encouraging us uh, to expose ourselves a little bit, to, to, be, to be a little vulnerable, to, to be accountable before God. And, and I think that would kind of carry over into our relationship with one another uh, as well. You know, and one of the primary purposes of of our life group ministry is to be a part of a a small group, to develop some relationships, relationships we can trust, uh, relationships we're comfortable with, to find courage and strength and accountability. Number three, and we've already dealt with this a little bit, but verses 10 through 12, use your time wisely. I, I remember senior in high school... Uh, being High School, a little rural school north of Ada. And was, was fortunate enough to have, uh, even though it was a very small school, a wonderful math teacher. You know, once, once upon a time, I could solve the quadratic equation. Now, that was in a previous life, but in a long time ago. But I remember Dr. Hobbs required us to write a lesson or write a, a theme papers in a physics class, actually, on what is time. How would, how would you write that essay? Just think, that might be a good assignment this week. Just a little one-page essay, what is time? Well, you know how I began my essay? I quoted Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. There's a time for everything. Uh, you know, fortunately... Uh, Dr. Hobbes was a deeply spiritual man. And, and I really think that's why I got an A on that little essay. was because I quoted some scripture. But I made me mean, think about that. And, and this verse challenges us to use our time wisely. And, which is why I read at the beginning uh, of our assembly this morning, Ephesians 5. I, I don't know if, if Paul had Psalm 90 uh, in the back of his mind. It kind of sounds like it. But learning to use our time wisely and not not waste so much time, you know, when maybe we could be doing some some other thing. That is is important, by the way, but anyway, all right? So number five, or excuse me, number four, look at verse 12. Brueggemann argues that verse 12 and the final phrase of verse 12 is really the core of the psalm when Moses says that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so the goal is a wise heart. And the wise heart does not emphasize knowledge, skill, or technique. The wise heart discerns the purposes of God for one's life. And I think Moses would say that the wise heart submits relinquishes and acknowledges the decisive impact that God must have on one's life. Now, that, that does not necessarily mean anything gets easier. I, I mean, God, when we become a child of God, we, He doesn't put, uh, put us in a vacuum or, or a bubble. He doesn't put us in bubble wrap. I mean, we're, we're going to experience life and the discouragements of life as well. But a wise heart understands who God is, understands the relationship that we have uh, with our Creator, and perhaps can at least help us have a better understanding. Because again, as we sang earlier, we know our final destination. So number 5, verse 17... When, when Moses concludes this prayer with establish the work of our hands, uh, some of the other translations use the word confirm the work of our hands or prosper the work uh, of our hands. I, I think Moses is, is pray, ends this prayer and is praying that, that he has lived his life in such a way that he leaves a legacy. And, and after, after, I, after I made this point, I, I got to thinking, well, we are going to leave a legacy. W- one way or the other, positive or negative, we're going to leave a legacy, right? And, and so the challenge here is to leave a positive legacy. And, and if God is behind it, right? if God is helping confirm, if God is helping us establish If if God is causing the work of our hands to prosper, then it will be a positive legacy for our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our church family, whoever God might have brought into our lives. Two final lessons. And ironically enough, these come from the heading, which reads again, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. I looked at approximately 30 English translations, and every one basically read the same way. At least they all chose the word prayer. However, the background of the word translated as prayer in the heading lies in the deliberation of a court. It it really is is a legal term. Right? Can, can be a, t- a technical term in, in a court of law. In fact, forms of the word refer to the court proceedings and even to the judge. And, and so you find this, this word and this group of words uh, a lot of times in the context of people throwing themselves in their need on the mercy of a court or a judge. And, and so because of that, with, with that kind of background, John Golden Gay, in, in his most recent uh, translation of the Old Testament, he chooses the word plea. It's, it's a plea of Moses, taking into consideration the, the legal background or the court background. Well, well, for me, plea is a much stronger word than just prayer. The word please suggests to me some boldness, uh, some bravery. I mean, you are, you are standing before a court. You're pleading your innocence. You're asking for vindication. You're asking for justification. Right? And, and so you, you've approached this, this God of mercy, And so very boldly, again, because of your relationship with Him, because of His eternal nature, and because He has been with Israel from generation to generation to generation, and and because He's been with with those of us who are in Christ for two millenniums, we we can with boldness approach our God. The the book of Hebrews talks about this. The word there is confidence. Same, Same kind of idea. And so, number six, pray a bold prayer this week. You know, we uh, two or three Sunday nights ago, we had a, a brief lesson on, on prayer. And, and the challenge there was, was just to pray. Well, this morning, it's not just to pray, but to be very bold in your prayer. Be very honest with God. Uh, understanding that you may be in a situation that only God can change. And, and so approach Him very bravely and very boldly with your request. And then finally, prayer of Moses, the man of God. Can, can you think, Can you think of a better identity than to be referred to as The man of God or the woman of God? Uh, Again, I I like like Golden Gay. He says, Moses, comma, God's man. Guys, we can be identified in a lot of ways. Husband, father, grandfather, uh, employer, employee however you want to identify yourself. But, but is there a more impactful or meaningful identity than to, when somebody sees you, they say, there goes God's man. Or ladies. As, as you go about your day, again, whether as, if it's as an educator, um, an employer, an employee, uh, just a stay-at-home mom, or who, by the way, really does all the work, and or, or whatever your role might be, whatever hat you might be wearing, if, if first and foremost, when somebody sees you uh, over at, at Walmart, got to put an S on the end of it. Walmart's—they say, you know, there goes God's woman. There, there, there goes a woman dedicated to God. And so finally, number seven, how are you identified? In, in, in what or in who do you find your identity? Well, if God is your dwelling place, and if you are in Christ, then first and foremost, our identity is found in Jesus. And after all, the word Christian, by definition, means one belonging to the christ he is our identity he is our hope and as thomas Ken wrote the brevity of life must also consider the eternal nature of the afterlife So where do you find your identity this morning? I'm going to stand and sing another song. A song is designed to kind of challenge challenge us to reflect a little bit. If you need to respond to your Lord this morning, please come while we stand and sing. Kyle.